so good to be with you tonight. Before we begin, I, uh, I looked up a little history about where we are this evening in a Jack Neely article from a while back, and I'll quote a paragraph or two. In 1915, Fifth Avenue was the newest and grandest part of Knoxville. Its name is a remnant of a puzzling numerical scheme tried just before the Civil War. First and Second Avenues lasted only a year or two. Have you ever wondered where they were? <laughs> and the other avenues were too bent to make much sense in the Manhattan pattern. Although its existence in Knoxville may have been the accidental remnant of some poor thinking, everybody knew that any Fifth Avenue was supposed to be special. And by 1915, 1915 it was indeed a fashionable street that attracted affluent couples and singles. It also attracted churches, and in 1915, First Christian joined several other churches in the immediate vicinity, Fifth Avenue Pres, the German-English Evangelical Church, the Church of the Epiphany, Broad Street Methodist, and Cumberland Presbyterian. First Christian was one of the first designed by the architect Charles Barber. He was just about 25 when he started working on the project. Apparently with some assistance from his father, George Barber, famous for his house designs. It was completed the year he formed the firm known today as Barber McMurray. First Christian stood out for its architecture. Its portico was similar to and inspired by New York's Madison Square Presbyterian Church, a recent and famous design by Stanford White, designer of the neighboring Madison Square Garden. White was America's best-known architect at the time, and his Manhattan church was notable for its use of mixed colors and materials in the style known to architects as polygon. Barber employed that approach as well as White's arrangement of doors. So we are having a little bit of history here tonight. Now, we have been in Acts for about a year, and uh, one of the things that I think we're going to do is uh, take a break for a little bit. And soon, I think, we'll spend some time thinking about neighboring. Um, we're moving into this neighborhood, and what does it look like to be a good neighbor here? So we'll be starting that soon. If you have any favorite passages about neighboring, let me know what they are. That's where I think we'll spend a little more time this summer. But this passage it continues our journey through the book of Acts. And today what we get to take a look at is the, the birth of the church in Europe. And it starts with a single international businesswoman. She is the mother of the church in Europe. And you know, how things begin is important. And Luke chooses to tell different stories under the inspiration of the Spirit. And, and so we, we want to pay attention to this story. Why is this story here? What does it teach us about the kingdom of God, about the ways of God? So let's, let's take a look tonight at how the church in Europe began. Well, the setting uh, starts with a sailboat. They start, remember, over, they were over in Turkey, and now they are coming across to northern Greece, sail, a sail of about... 15 days if the wind is right. 
And they, they get to a port, and then they go to Philippi, which uh, was a very popular city among Roman veterans, and it was said to be like a little Rome. It was very wealthy, and it was a place where veterans would retire. It was also a very anti-Semitic, and so that's where they're going in this story. But it, it, it just struck me, first of all, if you've been with us, following us at all, about how much the Holy Spirit has been involved in this journey. Uh, you'll remember that uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Paul was trying to go north, and then he was trying to go another direction, but the Holy Spirit kept saying, no, 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 and they wind up in Europe instead of Asia. And he actually has a vision from the Holy Spirit where a man stands up and says, come to northern Greece, to Macedonia, and share the gospel, help us. So it's very much a, a journey of the Spirit. They're following the Spirit. And I think it's interesting that they're sailing. As I was thinking about that, I remember at a time when my father had just had finished high school, and he, he took me for a week on the Annapolis Sailing School. And we spent a week on a beautiful sailboat with an instructor and six other boats learning how to sail. And I remember two things particularly from that class many years ago. One was, you never can go straight. <laughs> if you've ever sailed, if you're trying to go uh, uh, right across, the wind almost never lets you do it. You have to go back and forth and back and forth. And sometimes a spiritual life is kind of like that, isn't it? You can't just go straight at what you want to go towards. The other thing I remember from that class was this phenomenon of being irons. I'd never heard that phrase before. But you can be in the middle of a lot of wind, but if you don't trim your sail right, everything locks up and you stop, and everything just flaps and screams, and you're dead in the water no matter how hard the wind is blowing. And it just struck me that sometimes the spiritual life can be like that too. Sometimes you can kind of not have your sails trimmed right. You might, there's something in your life that is allowing the wind to just slip through you, kind of like some of the things Matt was praying about tonight. And it is the most incredible experience when you get out of irons and you trim the sails right. And the whole boat just begins to almost scream with pleasure. And the wind starts pulsating and flying through, and you're leaning back over the water, and it's just the most exciting thing in the world. And I wonder if this isn't a good time for us just to pray about trimming our sails. Just what would it look like for us to get the sails trimmed just right so that the Spirit could take us wherever wherever wants us to go in the weeks ahead. And you might just think of your own personal life. If you were comparing it to sailing, what, what would it be like for you right now? What would your spiritual journey be like if you were thinking of sailing? It might be something just to talk to God about. Are you rightly aligned with the wind? Verse 13 says that on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer 
And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, you, you, you've noticed that when Paul would go into a new city, he'd always go to a synagogue and start there. But evidently, there's no synagogue in Philippi, perhaps because of all the anti-Semitism. And so, um, he's there for a few days, and he hears about this prayer cell, this prayer group of women outside the city by a river. And he goes there. Because he's always, when he goes into a city, he's always trying to find out where is God at work? Where is the Spirit already blowing? And this time it was a place that he hadn't expected. And then we meet the first convert in Europe. Verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper time to get to know this woman uh, a bit. We know that she is single because in that culture, women were mentioned with, with a, a man if they were married in some way, so we don't, she's a single woman. And she's from Thyatira, which is an important manufacturing center in western Turkey, known for its dyes. And so um, she has gone 40 miles to the coast, taken a boat, gone on a risky journey, and then walked inland another, I think, 40 or 50 miles to this metropolitan city to set up a dis distribution center for her product. She is a, uh, an international business woman, which was not unheard of, but was very rare in that day. And Travel in the ancient world was very dangerous. And, and as so much of this, this journey tonight has to do with travel, I did a little study on this. The Romans were obsessed with travel. They, they built 50,000 paved roads, 200,000 non-paved roads. They set up the first great postal system, which is why you could uh, send letters all over to all the churches. And, and it was as advanced as anything could be. All roads really did lead to Rome, but it was still very, very dangerous to travel, especially if you were a woman. And one of the things you see in the literature a lot is that people often die on the journey. As a matter of fact, in Augustine's biography, he talks about his mother, Monica, dying on the road on the way back from Milan to Africa, so we've been on a similar trip. And when you study grave stones from that period, a common epitaph is that they died at the hands of bandits or robbers. So it gets even scarier when you talk about sea travel in those days. Um, and again, in Augustine's biography, there's this passage where he talks about his mother, who's a very godly woman, comforting the sailors because they were so terrified of drowning in a storm. Many people actually did drown. Pirates were an enormous uh, challenge at that time as, as well. And so Lydia, we don't know how many times she goes back and forth, but this is a very brave, very courageous woman who is traveling to, to Europe to set up a distribution center for her dyes. 
She's also uh, a worshiper of God, or your, some of your translations might be a God-fearer. And that described Gentiles who had not converted to Judaism, but were attracted to the God of Israel and would come and practice some of uh, the rituals in the worship. Now, one of the things that we do know about Judaism at that time is Jewish women were not allowed to be taught Torah. Jewish women were not allowed into certain parts of the temple. And so this is a, this is a woman who is kind of outside wherever she goes. She's a, a businesswoman, and that would have made her somewhat of an outsider. She was single, that would have made her somewhat of an outsider. She was moving towards the God of Israel, but she couldn't have full access, so that would have made her somewhat of an outsider. Well, Paul shares the gospel with the women. We read, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And Lydia believes and becomes the first person to follow Christ in Europe. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, there's some things going on behind the scenes here that we need to just take a moment and, and dig out. Um, she probably owns a villa. That would be the kind of size of home that would allow something like this. So she's a very successful uh, uh, 